when people come to graduation time, there are a couple of words that uh, sort of fit. They are, what's up? What's next? This little word up is an interesting word. We use it a lot, whether we think about how we use it or not. For example, it's easy to understand up, meaning toward the sky or toward the top of a list. But when we waken, why do we wake up? At a meeting, why does a topic come up? Why do participants speak up? And why are officers up for election? Why is it up to the secretary to write up a report? (laughs) Often the word isn't needed, but we use it anyway. We brighten up a room, polish up the silver, lock up the car. At other times, it has special meanings. People stir up trouble, line up for tickets, work up an appetite, think up excuses, and get tied up in traffic. To be dressed is one thing, but to be dressed up, that's special. (laughs) It may be confusing, but a drain must be opened up because it's stopped up. We open up a store in the morning and close it up at night. We even seem to be mixed up about up. To be up on the proper use of up, look up the word in your dictionary. In one desk-sized dictionary, up takes up half a page, and listed definitions add up to about 40. If you are up to it, You might try building up a list of the many ways in which up is used. It will take up a lot of your time, but if you don't give up, you may wind up with a thousand. (laughs) You're probably getting fed up, so I'll shut up. (laughs) So, what's up? We're all interested in that. Moses had a birthday, 120. Can you imagine blowing out the candles on the cake? He fainted. He said, I'm not able to go out or come in anymore. Understandably, 120. And he'd been through a lot. Forty years in a wilderness trying to lead rebellious people. That takes enough out of anybody. But on his 120th birthday, he preached. And I like that. I hope I can on that birthday when I get there in a few years. And I like his sermon. It's a sermon for today. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. This text has special significance for graduates and for families at this particular time of the year. I did not fully understand this text when I was in the position these folk are now in, but I do understand it now. For example... 
When Moses said, do not fear nor be afraid of them, I wondered who them was. Who in the world would I be afraid of? I think an example would have been what took place this last week on Nightline when there was a four-hour discussion about AIDS. And one of our politicians said on television that the Bible talks about monogamous marriage and sex with one person. And that's the answer. And he was ridiculed on television. Hissed at, whistled at, hooted at. That's them. Them are those that Jeremiah heard from God about. Don't be afraid of their faces. Sometimes you're them to me. <laughs> Don't be afraid of their faces. There are many thems out there in this society of ours, and the word of the Lord says, Don't be afraid of them. And here's the reason. The Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. Now, these instructors, as much as they love these folk, can't go with them. They have the limitation of physical presence. But the Lord has no such limitation. He it is that goes with them. And He will not leave them nor forsake them. Jesus said the same thing when he was with us. He said, I will not leave you, and I will never forsake you. And that is the message that brings me to my title, Happiness is Graduating. Years ago, Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. I suspect most everybody here has read it. Less than the first year, it sold 250,000 copies and became a bestseller and now is being translated into other languages. It's literally sold millions of copies now. You have to ask yourself, why would such a book be so popular? The answer is simple. We are all somewhat mystified by the future. We're all intrigued by tomorrow. There is a mystique about the future that captivates us, and whenever anything comes along that has to do with the future, it sparks a great deal of interest. That's why astrology is so interesting to many people who don't base their faith in the Word of God. That's why Gene Dixon is popular and other mystical religions or organizations because people have a bent to know what tomorrow will hold. Now, I am here to remind you today that if God would unfold the future for any of us here as it will really be, we probably couldn't handle it. God only shows us what we can handle. 
God is not in the business of opening up curtains and letting us peek down the tunnel of time to see where we will be or what we will be doing 20, 40, 50 years from now. God just doesn't do that. We are not capable of that. So to get involved financially and educationally in a lot of these things that simply have to do with the future, stargazing, reading these crystal balls or tea leaves or whatever the case may be, you're outside of the will of God because that's not the way God works. Never. The way God works is in the challenge of this text. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Wherever God leads you, whatever He asks of you, He will be there. And it will be all right. The call of the world becomes increasingly stronger as time passes. There's a danger of making things more important than God. Even making a study out of what the future may hold. When God wants us to come back to this present moment and deal with one basic question, who is first in your life? If choosing a particular job slows you down, don't accept it. If choosing a particular mate will make you compromise, this is not God's best. If making a decision will make you less a Christian, then that's the wrong decision. And God comes back with these thunderous words, be strong and of good courage, fear not, don't be afraid, for the Lord thy God, he it is who doth go with thee, he will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. Now we want to look back at some graduates for a few moments because we can learn from them. The first one that I would refer to is Abraham. Abraham graduated. Genesis 12.4 says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And in the 11th verse, or the 11th chapter, rather, the 8th verse of Hebrews, the great faith chapter, it says, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. You see, this underscores what I've already said. It's never God's will or way to show you what's way down the road. Abraham didn't even know where he was going, but he knew he was going. And he had God's assurance that he was moving in the will of God, and he made a commitment to the will of God, even though he did not know exactly where his path would take him. Before God's plan becomes clear, it is obvious that a commitment to doing his will is a must. That's what these folk have been working on during their days here at Capital Bible Institute, making a commitment to the will of God, which is a must before the plan of God ever unfolds for his people. It was true with Abraham, and it's true with all of us. Years ago, my wife and I were involved for a period of months in evangelistic work. 
we were in between pastorates and we traveled for a, for a while, going from church to church conducting revival meetings. I would play my trumpet, she would play her accordion, we would sing. Boy, we were good. We could sing all of Ira Stanfield's songs. And I would preach, and God would bless. And in those meetings, my wife invariably, when sharing publicly, publicly with the people, would quote the preacher in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It does not say that he will show you the whole thing in one panorama. It just says he shall direct your paths. And we have found that true in our lives. Back then, if you would have told me that I would be here now and there would be this many people here to hear me preach, I would have laughed in your face. Now I want more. And I ask you to fill up this other side up here. What's the matter with all you folk over here? Fill that up. Abraham graduated from comfortability when God said, it's time, sir, go. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, there have been other graduates. And I see these people in three categories. Some of these graduates God called upon to suffer. Now that's an encouraging word on this lovely day, but it is a word from the Lord. In that passage in Hebrews 11, it speaks of the man whom we read about in our text this morning, Moses. It says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. In our hedonistic, pleasure-mad society, people don't like to think about suffering. They don't want to talk about suffering or persecution. We want the good life. We want it easy. We want it on a silver platter. Sometimes driving down Micron Avenue at certain times of the day, I see these people at the restaurant next door sitting out on the veranda there with their drinks in their hands, and I look at my watch and I wonder, how do they have time for that? It's five minutes after five or 5.30 and the place is just mobbed with people. That kind of job doesn't allow that. And I've often wondered how people find jobs that allow that kind of time. But the Spirit of God has spoken to my heart more than once driving down this street observing the habits of people today. We want a good time. We call it the happy hour or the adjustment hour. Now, where will the advertising come from which will read, after work, 
come and suffer for an hour. Give yourself to somebody else for the evening. Suffer with somebody in the hospital. Bleed with somebody. Weep with somebody. Doesn't sound right, does it? Because it doesn't fit our society. But it fits the Christian life. It fits the life of the graduate. Because graduates, like Moses, are called upon to suffer. Paul graduated from his desert experience of three years, and afterward he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Be spent. He said, I die daily. And Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You see, joy came to Jesus not through plenty, not through pleasure, but through pain. Those were the greatest moments of his life when he was filled with joy as he gave himself to others. That's something we've got to come back to. And on this day, I must say it, graduates are called upon to suffer, not for the good life. I also discovered in the Scriptures that some graduates are called upon to flee or to run. Genesis 39, verse 12, speaks of Joseph. Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now, some graduates have failed. They didn't run. They didn't flee, and they're blaming everybody else for it. Sad indeed. But I want everybody to hear me today. When you're walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're going to have to learn how to flee. You're going to have to have the courage to say no. When sin is looking you in the face, to know how to handle that. And Joseph learned that in the university of hard knocks. And when it was about to fasten its tentacles upon him, he ran, he fled from the presence of it, which is wisdom. Not to stand there and try to do battle with it or reason with it. Do you reason with a rattlesnake? No, you position yourself far away far enough away from it that it cannot touch you. That poison cannot get into your system. That's what a graduate does who finds happiness. Sin marks. There are so many mamby-pambies today who don't have the backbone of a Joseph. And when they fall, when they fail, they're pointing their finger at somebody else. She seduced me. He did this. They did that. Listen, we all have a will, and the happy graduate says, I'm going to run from it. I'm not going to stand there and play with it. This morning, in my devotional time, I was looking at the seventh proverb, because this is the seventh day of the month, and I read with interest again, though I've read these words hundreds of times, it had meaning for me today. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. 
I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. Mm -hmm. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, now get this verse, immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. And you see him hooked in there. Fool. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would take his life. That's why we have preachers who can get up like this and say, you've got to flee. If you don't know it's going to take your life, let me tell you, it will. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. That interested me. They didn't expect it. They were strong men. All who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. End of Proverbs 7. All of that speaks of the folly of a person who is seduced, who does not do what Joseph did, flee from the presence of destruction. I have some suggestions for all who like the thought of graduating. You have to ask yourself in today's world, is what I am involved in habit-forming? Is what I'm about to take or what I'm about to do habit-forming? 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, Paul got a glimpse of what this was all about. He said, if there's anything that brings me under its power, I cannot. The graduate should be able to stand at any moment and say, there's not a thing in my life that I am addicted to. There's not a thing that I can't let go of in this moment to follow Jesus and do his will. Not one thing. Secondly, is it characteristic of the world or of the Father? 1 John 2.15, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That ought to be easy. When we come to decisions, just look at that and say, if this is of the world, it can't be of the Father. So therefore, I have it easy to make up my mind. And then I want to say, if you have any doubt, it's wrong. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The standard, Revised Standard Version says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Living Bible says anything that is done apart from what he feels is right is sin. Modern language says every act that does not spring from faith is sin. You see, we need to determine what is best, not what is just good. 
And we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time looking past something that looks so good to the natural man, just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they looked at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looked good, but it wasn't best. And as graduates who are looking for happiness, this is going to be a model, going to be a standard. You have to listen to the right voice. Joseph was tuned in. I read about a fellow who was standing under a tree making a prayer to God. He said, Dear God, up above, should I kiss the girl I love? Up in the tree was his brother that he could not see amidst the leaves, and a voice came back, Sinner, sinner, down below, pucker up and let her go. You've got to listen to the right voice. You've got to know the voice. Or you'll get into deep trouble. Do you know the voice of God? Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. That's what that word means. Perform means complete. He will finish it. He will complete it. I like that. God doesn't start anything he can't finish. So as we learn to walk our way through this matter of sin and temptation, we won't be caught in some of the headlines that we read about today of people who should know better. Happiness is graduating. It's fleeing the temptations and the lusts of this world. I have learned from the Bible that some graduates have to persevere. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when he knew the decree had been signed, he lifted up his window and prayed three times a day. He was told not to do it. He was told the consequences. He was told that he'd be thrown into the lion's den, but he did it anyway. He would not take the low road when he knew there was a high road. Daniel persevered. The three Hebrew children persevered. Jesus persevered. The devil tried to get him to stoop to the low road. But he wouldn't do it. He took the high road. And he redeemed the world by his decision. Now much is required of graduates. The Bible teaches us in Luke Chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a man who had servants, and one of these servants became an outcast, was beaten with many stripes, and you have to ask yourself, why was he treated that way? And it's because of this. The servant said in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. You see, much is required to those who are given much. And we certainly are given much, aren't we? 
We have been blessed in this land with so much, but there is much required. To these graduates, I say today, much is required of you because much has been given to you. Be faithful. Carry out the will of God without exception. Don't listen to voices that will steer you in another direction. Listen to the voice of God that comes often inside, not audibly, not in lightning or thunder, but that still small voice that is saying, this is the way, walk in it. God will be there to prove himself in your life. Now, I want to spend our final moments together talking about the final graduation. I've been impressed lately, especially the past three weeks as I've been preparing the message on the coming of Christ and the message on the judgment seat with the unexpectedness of Christ's return, the quickness of his return, the rapid way in which God many times works. And to say to all of us who are here today, there is coming a graduation day that all of us have to be involved in. Now, when these graduates walked across here and I handed them that piece of paper, it's totally blank, not a thing on it. That's very impressive, but the real thing is nice, and we don't like to roll it all up. Got to keep real nice, because my name is on there, and I don't want it to be wrinkled. And there's a seal on there which says this is official. So what they got was a blank piece of paper. I shall never forget the graduation I was a part of where it was the real thing, and this one fellow took his and went back and stood and opened it, and it was blank, but nobody else's was blank. He had not finished the course. He had not run the race. He went through the ceremony, which is what Jesus said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter or will graduate. It could be a blank diploma and how tragedy, how, how tragic that could be. So we've got to think about our final graduation. Have the requirements been met? Is your life totally hid with Christ in God? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that every other thing could be added to you? Or are you sidetracked with other things, things that will never satisfy? I was taken this morning as one of my staff members called to my attention an article in the paper about the USS Stark, the tactical action officer on that ship, twice dismissed the petty officer's suggestion that the pilot of the Iraqi jet, which ultimately attacked the ship, be warned he was approaching an American vessel. Twice. The petty officer in the Stark's Combat Information Center expressed concern over the plane's intentions when it drew within 43 miles of the Stark. At about 43 miles out, the petty officer asked, should we warn this plane? He was told no by the tactical action officer. At 40 miles out, the petty officer asked again, should we warn? He was told at that time, no, he'll be turning north soon. 
The Starks did not try to warn the Iraqi plane away until more than a minute after the plane had launched its missile and was headed home. What do you think 37 sailors think about that today? But it's a lot like us. We don't take these things too seriously. After all, we can come back to church next Sunday, can't we? And certain religions say, why, you just come before somebody and you confess it and everything's fine. And you go right out and do it again. We don't take the presence of those warheads very seriously at all. And we just sort of do it the way we want to do it. Why, who has to believe the preacher? Who has to trust in the Bible? Who has to do it the way God said? After all, I'm healthy. I've got a job. Everything is okay. Well, you're going to come to graduation. That's why it's so important to pay attention. There's an accounting day. Have the requirements been met? Has the course been finished? I had a wonderful experience this week. I was attending the executive presbyters' meetings in Springfield early week, and we were sitting together in the conference room, 13 of us, when word came to us that Bon Bowman, the pastor for many, many years of Brightmore Tabernacle in Detroit, Michigan, had died. Over 30 years, Bon Bowman pastored that church, and when there were no churches in America running a thousand in attendance. His was well over a thousand. He was a real hard worker and a great man of faith. I remember preaching a conference with him one time in the state of Oregon, and he was telling about the Depression when he would deliver coal in the daytime, and he would be covered with coal dust from head to toe. And they would have nightly revival meetings. For weeks on end, they would have nightly meetings when people were being saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and healed by the power of God. And he would just get out of that coal truck in time to get into his church and clean the dust off and put a suit on and go onto the platform and lead the service, the revival service of his church. But God sent a great wave of revival to Brightmore Tabernacle under his leadership. But he died this past week after heart surgery, did not survive the surgery, and on their way to tell Mrs. Bowman, who was home, that her husband had died. She died, too, without knowing that her husband had died. Just like that. And the word reached us in the conference room, and all 13 of us rejoiced. <laughs> I thought, man, I don't think I've ever heard that before. How nice of God to work that out. It would be so hard for my wife to decide what to do in the future if I went and she was left behind. She depends on me so much. And I want you to know it would be very hard on me too if she took her first. But for some reason, in the case of the Bond Bowman, she took them both within minutes of each other without the other knowing. Until, of course, suddenly there they were, 
in the presence of Jesus, and one said, hey, how did you get here? <laughs> as I thought about the Bowmans and my relationship with them a little bit through the years, it was as though God said, it's just reward, graduation. And I wanted to do it this way. And since I'm God, I'll just go ahead and do it the way I want. They're all going to graduate. Isn't that a unique story? Double funeral, husband and wife. Last night I just got into bed. I was just dropping off to sleep and I heard the phone ring. My wife got it. That's the way it ought to be. And when she came over, I was awake enough to say, what was that? And she said it was to tell us that Cliff Hobson died suddenly today. Cliff Hobson is the secretary treasurer of the Northwest District of the Assemblies of God. Worked with my cousin, the superintendent, closely, has for years. Great man. Cliff is not an old man, but he just graduated yesterday. Jim Miller, Bible College classmate, pastor of a great church in Longmont, Colorado. Got infection in his body, went to Oral Roberts Hospital. They couldn't control it, packed his heart. He died! My age. Graduation. His wife sent me a message this week saying she's doing fine. The church is strong. But Jim graduated a little ahead of me for reasons I don't know. But I'm being reminded again and again that graduation day is in front of all of us. Have we met the requirements? Preacher down south, driving his car on the highway, graduated the other day. Family of God brothers. You can't always tell when a drunk is going to come across on your side of the road, and it doesn't seem to matter whether you're a preacher or a layman or a Christian or a non-believer. If you happen to be there, you're going to graduate. graduated. And so are you. That's what makes this service so important. Because this is final exam. Your grade will be given according to how you respond to this lecture. Will you be ready? And those of you who can say, yes, I'm ready, and I want to ask you, and especially these dear friends, are you faithful to the call, to the will of God, without exception? I will do what God asks me to do, no matter what the consequence.
That's what will make graduation meaningful. That's why Moses said, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. I was a student at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and getting close to graduation. And I started to college when I was 17, so I was very young, even at the point of graduation. And I wondered what God was going to do with me. I had done a little bit like Abraham. I'd gone out not knowing whither I was going, and there was a big, big time in my life and wasn't sure what God wanted. And I slipped by myself one day into the chapel at the school and got down at one of those old seats. And I laid it out before God. I said, God, I've never doubted you and you've never failed me, but it wouldn't hurt if you'd give me some kind of an answer. I'd like to know a little bit about what's next. And I shall never forget the words that I have shared with you as my text today came from God to my heart. He directed me to these words. Fear not. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God will be with you. He will never forsake you. And so, I said, God, that's good enough for me. I shall never ask any more than that. I'm satisfied. Thank you. And he led me, and he has led me, and he has never failed me, and he has helped me to be of good courage, not to be afraid, and he's given me the opportunity to once again stand in front of you and say, we're going to graduate, and I will be responsible for every one of you who has heard this message. So it's not a little game with me. It's really important to me how you take this word. Happiness is graduating. The greatest happiness of all is when you're ushered into the presence of God and you hear him say, you've done well, come on in. The greatest tragedy of all would be to go through all of the courses and take the journey and not qualify because you didn't take him at his word and you didn't hear him say, fear not, be of good courage. Trust me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Are you ready? Are the requirements met? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, in these closing moments of church today, we ask for a visitation of your Holy Spirit. We ask that the sinner will be converted. We ask that the backslider will be reclaimed. We ask that the indifferent will come close to the cross and receive new life. 
we ask that these graduates will be given such confidence that they shall never veer to the right or to the left. They shall always hear God say, Fear not. Be of good courage.